Welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now. I'm Mike DiCibato, your host, and this week we have Megan Eastman in studio, away from her home in Massachusetts, to discuss with Matt Muscardi and myself about two stories, the first of which it's us worrying about Tyson Foods and the possible spread of African swine fever from China into the U.S., and then we're going to discuss eye-buying or the digital flipping of homes. Thanks as always for joining us and stay tuned. Okay, so on Monday during a conference call, the head of meatpacking at Tyson Foods warned listeners about the possibility that African swine fever, which is currently decimating the Chinese pig herd, could enter the U.S. for the first time. Around 130 million pigs have already either died or been called due to the disease, which is a tragedy, let's be real. And this problem has actually been going on since 2007, where an outbreak started in the country of Georgia, but it just hit China recently. Matt, it's tough for investors to know what is going on in the U.S. agricultural industry, but even more difficult for them to know what exactly is happening in the Chinese agricultural industry. So walk me through this problem, please. I, I think there there's probably two things, um, sort of separate things at play because there's like the natural world problem of disease actually happens and it's a problem. And especially as the climate. Right. It's faster climate, than ever now. Right. Yeah. The climate's getting worse. You can expect more infectious diseases potentially in the future. And I think there's kind of the system problem that's, you know, more ecosystem focused. And then there is the industry slash company problem, right? Like the the companies in China that this are this is hitting, like, you know, Muyan Foods, which I'm sure I'm butchering the name. Um, but they're <laughs> one of the, you know, Chinese, they're in the top fifty global producers of pork. And uh, they're based in China. We have them rated triple C. And the reason why we have them triple C, along with many of the sort of uh, uh, Chinese, but even broader Asian food producers, is there is a food quality problem throughout Asia. It's not as closely monitored. The government systems aren't in place. Um, the companies don't have the systems in place. And then you combine the kind of natural ecosystem problem with uh, industrial complex that doesn't have as strong oversight uh, in certain parts of the world, not just Asia. There's all you know different problems in different parts of the world. But in this case, you're talking about Asia. And you end up with a potential sort of pandemic. And not only that, Chinese consumers are getting more money. They are getting more discerning. They have the ability now to be more discerning in their purchases, not that they weren't before. And they're going to move away from any kind of domestic producer that puts them or or their children at any kind of risk. And it's not like people in China are going to stop eating pork. Uh, I know that because before this, I reviewed the USDA's agricultural projections up to 2028 and China is projected to be both the largest importer and producer of pork they've been steadily climbing since 2016 and before the epidemic the USDA said that increased corn prices and lower pork prices would create incentives to lower pig farrows meaning they were going to have smaller litters farmers were but now they have to ramp back up now everyone has to ramp back up their pig herds which isn't easy Pigs are alive. They take a, lo- a little bit to grow. And so a large portion of the market is both 
is going to go to non-Chinese pork producers, both because of this disease and because of consumers' dyers, desires to avoid this disease. Even, but I have to be careful with this, right? The food scares are a global problem, as Tyson alluded to, and this is a real threat for everyone, right? Look, to, to illustrate how difficult this is, like the companies themselves don't often know the the they can't trace origin of all of their products right, right. so so you know just yesterday um starbucks announced that they were using microsoft microsoft's blockchain service to track their coffee beans right so companies are turning to disruptive technology solutions in order to better actually understand their own supply chains as an investor you take on their supply chain risk whether you want to or not right so when you have a, a pandemic like the swine like the swine fever while it seems like oh it's isolated to china so you know i just have to avoid hog you know uh producers in in china and and i'll be fine nope. you kind of don't know you kind of don't know the supply chains are huge and complex and, it, you know, it, to your point earlier, Mike, if it went from Georgia in 2007 to China today, it's it's a time game you're playing. As you've been talking, Matt, I've been sitting here wondering whether some of these outbreaks we've seen over the last decade or so, five, 10 years, whether it's disease or whether it, it's actual food safety, like you were saying, whether that starts to push the industry back towards more local and smaller players over the long term. I mean, food globally has gone really large scale. We've started to see some shift back towards eating local, as you said. Uh, you know, I do a lot of my own shopping at the farmer's market, but yeah, it's not accessible to everybody at this point. Do we, do we think that that's possible, likely, or is it just too far gone down the the massive scale globalized path to ever go back. I don't know if it's gone too far or it is just not possible with the land available to us to grow. Before coming to MSCI, I, I was thinking about writing this piece with a union rep who was trying to get more meatpacking workers unionized, obviously. And he was telling me about the push toward artisan pork and how impossible that was given the land required to sustainably raised pigs and i think in terms of esg at at the end it's it's going to be a question of what sort of product and safety standards are investors going to require and ultimately what sort of exposure are investors going to want in their portfolios So the New York Times reported on the emergence of iBuying, a.k.a. instant house flipping, which is selling your house using no in-person services. You have a virtual open house. You digitally close. You use other services that are online. The biggest backer of iBuying is Zillow at the moment, who's the uh, online real estate database company. Zillow sees this as a low-profit margin business, but what they do see as a benefit is they can give a bunch of people mortgages. and Are they going into lending too then? They are going into lending oh, too. Man. Um, 
it they see houses as a way to generate business for the mortgage lending arm. Except maybe does it kind of open it up for abuse if everyone's or not abuse, but taking advantage of that information asymmetry when they've got the lending information and the the property information and and everything else, and the, yeah. the buyers only got whatever they have to offer on the website. Or do we think everyone's going to jump in like uh, you know Uber and Lyft and whoever else is competing with them, so that uh, it, it you start to have the competition? I think we've seen ease subverts any kind of hesitance by a consumer. Once you make things really easy, the consumer jumps on it. I mean, I I very much am concerned about Uber and Lyft's ability to pay their drivers what their labor costs are. But when it's pouring rain outside, I look at totally Lyft and I get, a, I, get a, I get a Lyft. And it's going to be the same thing for a bunch of retirees. And I wonder what the larger effect of these types of vertical integrations will be on the retail market. Effectively, what is happening is uh, tech and textile companies are targeting inefficient markets. You have Amazon and Berkshire and JP Morgan targeting healthcare. You have Uber targeting trans and Lyft tar- targeting transportation. You have Zillow and Redfin targeting real estate, residential real estate for the most part. All these companies are saying is there's a tech solution to reduce inefficiency in the market. And they're starting to say, we don't care what market that is or what you think of as our, our market model. Amazon getting into healthcare you would say that's totally incongruous. But Amazon is saying this is a market ripe for disruption and there's a technological solution that could help, a marketplace solution that could help. We don't need to be congruous with what we sell over there if we've got the infrastructure and the disruptive idea to build something you know, over here. That to me is the interesting, the, the interesting kind of macro layer. Yeah, it is. But I think at the same time, as the the business models are getting disrupted, that we're also seeing, I don't know if you'd call it disruption, but new kinds of externalities. We yes. talked yes. about this the other day with Uber and Lyft and the drivers and so on. And I'm trying to figure out with this Zillow Redfin thing what those externalities are that we haven't thought of, they have or haven't thought of, that eventually the market's going to have to come around to a solution for. You know, Amazon's already got, you know, uh, privacy issues uh, that they have to deal with. But you layer on healthcare data with that and you're talking a whole new ballpark. Zillow, you know, is a nice platform for me to find some real estate that I want to buy and continue to use it. And they can set up agents and cut agent fees. But then they're going to start lending and quick flipping. Well, that's a whole new layer of externality. Yeah, for, I mean, like, forget like the big data. That is Personal an externality. Data. That's just like an externality upon an externality. All right, that's it. We've done it for another week. Thanks, as always, for joining us to hear about the news with an ESG twist. I wanted to thank Megan Eastman and Matt Muscardi for joining me, as always. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato. Thanks for listening to us once again. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you next week. Later.
The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.